and welcome to the Therapeutic Teaching Podcast. I'm Shahana Knight, the founder of TPC Therapy and the creator of the Therapeutic Schools Award and the Therapeutic Teaching Course. And every week I'll be talking about all things related to well-being and mental health in schools. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of inspirational goodness to go out there and make a real difference in the lives of the children that you're working with. Each week will be full of innovative ideas, inspirational stories, practical guidance and even some freebies so that we can actually redefine what school should be for the children of today. You have so much power to make some real changes so let me show you how. I'm so glad you found me here. Let's jump right in. Hiya, welcome to another podcast episode. Today we're going to look at attachment disorder. So we're going to really be quite specific with it. We're not going to look at the whole of attachment disorder, but we're going to look at three behavior management strategies that don't actually work for kids with attachment disorder. Now this is so important because I see schools do the same mistakes over and over and over again with some children who it's just not going to work for. So let's have a quick look at what these three things are. Before we do that, we need to think about what attachment disorder is. Now, there are more and more and more children coming into school with attachment disorders. Attachment disorder is the way that we connect to our caregiver. So there are lots of different types of attachment disorder and That is definitely to do in a training module and not to do in a podcast, but just to give you a really good oversight, when you have positive attachment, you have got a caregiver who is there for you, they are attuned to your needs, they know when you're um, emotionally in need of something, so for example, if you're a baby, they, they check your nappy, they give you food, they try and find out why you're crying. As you grow, they're connected emotionally. They help you when you're feeling down. They give you a cuddle and a kiss when your emotions get too high. They talk you through why they're doing certain things. So I know you're really tired and that's why you're crying and that's why you're frustrated and you need to go to bed early tonight or no, you can't have those sweets and I know you really want them and it's really overwhelming. You might be giving them a hug while you say this, but it's not time to have sweets right now. It's dinner time. All of that is creating an attachment with a child. The attachment is, I can trust this adult. This adult is there for me. They understand my emotional need and it's all about emotional need. And I know that I can trust this person. Adults are trustworthy, they keep me safe. An attachment disorder develops when the parent or the caregiver isn't experienced as being a safe caring adult. And actually the behaviors are experienced in different ways. So it can kind of ebb and flow. So there's not one way. You might have a parent who rejects you quite a lot. You might have a parent who belittles you or um, bullies you or harms you. You might have a parent who's quite scary and quite aggressive. You might have a parent who avoids your needs. You know, when you are feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling like you've hurt yourself and you need a hug, they just tell you, get up, be a big boy, stop crying. And you don't get that connection. You don't get that emotional connection that you need and that's somebody helping guide you through it. They don't ever tell you why you're so angry or frustrated. They don't tell you why they tell you off. They just tell you off. You don't really know what you're doing. And so over time, you develop an attachment disorder. You can't quite trust your parent or caregiver. You don't trust them to help you when you're feeling down or sad or overwhelmed or scared. In fact, sometimes it's them who makes you scared. It's them who makes you feel overwhelmed. And if your basic connection as a child is to have this person who takes care of you, that you can go to whenever you feel scared, but that's the person and creating the fear where do you go so attachment disorder can develop low level and high level 
lots of children that I see in school have really low attachment disorders and that might purely be because their parents disengaged. Maybe their parents constantly on their phone, maybe their parent doesn't really play with them, watches TV when they're playing, um, doesn't really notice their feelings or emotions, maybe they are not fed at the same time every night, maybe they go to bed whenever they want, fall asleep on the sofa. Those things don't seem like really complex trauma and they're not. But when that's a constant thing that's happening all of the time, you might find that this child starts to realize that they've just got to fend for themselves. That's gonna develop an attachment disorder. At a really high level, you might have a child who's experiencing domestic abuse and that parent is really scary. They do have to run away. They do get hurt quite a lot of the time. They're protecting another parent in the household or siblings in the household and they're constantly in a state of stress and fear. That's also an attachment disorder. So it comes in lots of different shapes and sizes. And it's really easy to form an attachment disorder, I would say, in this day and age with technology happening and like, you know, all the ways that we live, it can be really hard to build that connection. When a child's experienced attachment disorder, it impacts all the other relationships in that child's life as well. So you imagine, you know, if you're at home and you're at home till the age of like four or five and every experience you have with an adult is one of disconnection, is one of fear, is one of not having your needs being met, then you're going to form beliefs. You're going to start to form a belief that people don't care about you. You do have to fend for yourself, that adults aren't safe and secure, that they're not reliable, they don't say what they mean, you can't trust them. It might even be as simple as every time you misbehave, your parent goes, right, that's it. We're never going to the cinema. I'm taking away your Xbox. I'm throwing all your toys out. And then those things don't ever happen. So you come to believe that what adults say means nothing. That's a really low level version, but it's still a form of attachment disorder because that parent hasn't ever followed through. They haven't ever made that child feel secure enough and they don't know where the boundaries are. Children bring those preconceptions of adults and relationships into the rest of their life. And it isn't just adults, it's relationship building. How do they build relationships with their friends when no one's ever guided them through how to create healthy connections? You know, that's impossible. How do you acknowledge someone else's feelings if no one's ever acknowledged your feelings? So attachment disorder is an extremely complex but very important factor of school and education. We've got to understand it to enable ourselves to really support the children. What we do at the moment, a lot of the time, is we actually reinforce attachment style behaviors. So children will develop coping mechanisms to be able to cope with that relationship. So for example, if their parent's really under-involved, the child might learn that they have to have huge displays of anxiety, crying, screaming, dramas to get any sort of reaction and connection. And maybe the connection only lasts a little while, but it's some connection. That's gonna then become an adult who always has a drama, who's always angry, who's always frustrated, who's always got a problem, who's always got a, I've been in hospital. Can you believe this person said this to me and that person said this to me? And suddenly this person's life is one big drama because they experienced that was the only way they could create relationships. Whatever the relationship quality, it was a relationship. So children will bring these things into their school environment. The school environment is a perfect opportunity to start to rewire the brain. Now you think if they come into reception or nursery at three and four, it's just four years. Now the first five years are the most important. You're in that so you can start to change the brain connections because the brain is still really mushy. It's still really learning. And you can actually say, well, all right, yeah, that's your experience. But if you're consistent and you do the opposite of what they expect over and over and over again, and you are attentive and you are caring and you do notice their feelings, you do reflect their feelings back to them, you do help regulate them, they'll start to learn that actually some adults can be trusted, some adults do care. 
And that is really serious work because then that's a child who doesn't have massive meltdowns and dramas in the future when they're hitting 20 years because they learn at four years old that actually that wasn't necessary of all adults. If you've got a child who moves up through the school, but you're still rejecting them for certain behaviours or you're still reinforcing their coping mechanisms and making them push you away and making them walk out and reinforcing, yeah, adults don't care, adults don't listen, adults don't keep me safe, then you're just reinforcing those patterns and doing absolutely nothing for their outcomes in the future, relationship-wise, personally, emotionally. And that's going to impact everything, the jobs that they they decide to do, the relationships, the partners they choose, whether or not they can engage in higher education and sustain higher education, whether they can parent, so many different factors. So attachment disorder is so important in school. Now, there are three specific things I'm going to pull out today that will help you to understand that these three things don't help children with attachment disorder. And actually, you're trying to teach them, you're trying to help them to do better at school, but these things don't work. So let's unpick them and see what they are. Remembering this, your job is to change the brain connections and the brain pathways, not reinforce them. So the first one is rewards. Rewards don't often work with children with attachment disorder. Now, why? Let's have a quick look at that. So when you give a reward to a child, you're basically saying to the child, I am going to give you this reward because I believe that you've done something to please me, right? Basically, you've done something I want you to do, so here's a reward. That's the first thing. Children with attachment disorder have learned they shouldn't do what everyone else wants them to do because the reward is usually a form of control, okay? If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Or if you won't get this unless you do this. And that, as an internal working model, as their basic belief system, often leads to danger or a controlling adult or somebody who's trying to manipulate them. It's not about what's best for them. They don't experience a reward of something that's best for them. They experience a reward as manipulation. So when you're in school and you give them a reward, sometimes a very act of giving them a reward makes them go, why have I got this reward? So if you ever had a child who you've given them a certificate on a Monday and said, you've been amazing last week, here's your certificate, well done, brilliant behaviour, blah, blah, and then that, literally that afternoon, they're horrendous. And you're thinking, she just got a certificate this morning. And that's because the reward itself is a trigger for attachment disorder style behaviour. They have suddenly gone, oh my God, how have I done this? How have I found myself in a situation where I'm pleasing the adults around me? They've manipulated me, they've won because very often it's power struggle. It has to be a power struggle because it's survival and you won. So therefore they have to show you, no, no, you cannot manipulate me. I am in control, I am in the power. I have to have that power and control to stay safe. So they'll do anything to reverse that positive reward. Another issue with rewards, such as like tick charts and point systems, is that children with attachment disorder assume they're going to fail anyway. So they're gonna self-sabotage. So if you give them a delayed reward, if you say, okay guys, on Friday, if you're all really good, we'll have golden time. Straight away, you've basically let that child down just by saying that. Because for the children in your class who've got attachment disorder, they're gonna go, oh my God. There's no way I'm going to get that. There's no way I'm going to get golden time. I'm bad. I always let people down. I'm always in trouble. I'm going to do something to ruin it. Or the teacher will take it away from me. Because what has that child learned? That child has learned that every single time somebody promises them something or says something will happen, it never does. So maybe they've experienced, for Christmas, I'll get you an Xbox. And then dad sold that Xbox for drugs. 
Or, right, we're going to go to the cinema on Friday. Friday comes. Now nah, we ain't going to the cinema. You've been really bad. We're not going. Forget it. We're not going to the cinema. Or it might be that their feeling of something that's like really good is that if they do this, this and this, their mum or their dad might pay them some attention, might give them some hugs and some kisses, but that never happens. So rewards can be lots of different things. They don't believe they're ever really going to get that because people will take those things away from them all of the time. They're never achievable. They're always a form of manipulation. So what they do is they self-sabotage. So what you'll find is you'll say, okay, Friday, we've got golden time, literally Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, they are really difficult. And you keep saying to them, Friday's golden time. You're not going to get golden time if you don't sort yourself out. I really want you to have golden time. And basically what you're saying is, I don't believe you're going to get there. Prove to me that you can, prove to me that you can. And this child's going, oh my God, I can't, I can't, I just can't. I know that I'm going to let her down. I know I'm going to let myself down. I am bad at my core. Everything I've ever experienced tells me I'm bad at my core. How how am I going to get to Friday? So instead of you taking it away from them, which is what they expect, they expect that you will take that thing from them because you've got the power. They'll get that power back for themselves because that's their only form of control. It's much easier to ruin it for themselves and to sabotage it for themselves and not get it, but say, I did that. I didn't want it anyway. Instead of going, I'll work for it, I'll work for it, I'll work for it, and you taking it off them, which is what they believe is going to happen. Because that way you've got the power, you've got the control, and it's another adult who is able to take away things from their life and create these feelings of repetitive trauma. So that's one of the reasons why rewards don't work. So avoid tick charts, because honestly, if you tick on your board and you go, right, okay, Sarah, that's it now you've got a tick on the board by your name you put the first tick Sarah's going to work her bum off to get five ticks because Sarah wants to get to the end of that process and she wants to be in control of it because she knows you're going to give her five ticks anyway because you already gave her one so you're already setting her up to fail she genuinely believes in her heart she'll get five ticks so she'll just work her way through those ticks as quickly as she can almost like ripping off the band-aid of the bad thing that's going to happen because she expects it's going to happen so tick charts don't work or not tick charts, ticks by their name on the board don't work. Similarly, tick charts. Gathering points, that can often have the same impact. And bite-sized sessions as a reward. Now, I know this is really popular. I know loads of educational psychologists and people who come into school say that it's a great thing, but I genuinely don't believe that it is. If you have got a reward system in place where you say to a child, okay, if you do 20 minutes of learning, you get the iPad. And then if you do 20 minutes more learning, you get to go and do football outside or whatever. That is not going to help that child understand the value of learning and feel like they're worthy of learning and want to learn for themselves that is going to make that child feel like you are making them learn. And then they've got a choice. All right, do I want the iPad? Well, yeah, we do. Okay, so I'll behave for 20 minutes because I want the iPad. Absolutely nothing is learnt there other than manipulation, which is reinforcing attachment style behaviours. Basically, you're saying to them, okay, I'm going to tell you, you need to do this for me because I'm not going to give you anything nice if you don't. And they go, all right, I'll do it because I want the nice thing. But what you'll find is that those bite-sized sessions with the rewards do not work long term. And I'm pretty confident in saying if you've been trying to do this with a child and you've been trying to do this with a child long term, you're not going to get past the first few months because then the child will go, this isn't working, I'm not interested in the iPad, don't care about the iPad anymore. Or the child will completely reject it because they know that you're just forcing them to do something. There's no lesson in there around the value of learning and there's no connection. 
it's basically a bartering tool and that doesn't work with ch children with attachment disorder because they don't believe the relationship is worth it anyway and they don't want to work towards having a connection. They don't want this reward you're going to give them unless they actually want the reward. So they're manipulating you. So it doesn't work. So instead, try things that are about connection. Try verbal acknowledgement. So instead of praising the child with a reward, like, oh, if you do this, if you do this, you'll get this. Just tell them in the moment when they've done something good. So you've worked really hard on that. Instead of praising them as well, like where you're going, well done, this is amazing, it's fantastic, because they don't believe that anyway. Because every time anyone's ever said anything nice, it's always been a lie, it's been a manipulation. So they don't actually believe it. And obviously I'm talking about children with quite complex attachment disorder here. So simple statements, you've worked really hard on that, or thank you for listening. Um, reflect the feelings and behaviour as always. So Sarah, you really struggled with that, but you kept trying and you didn't give up. That's so much better than a certificate because you're actually explaining to her, you know what, it was hard, it was tricky, but you kept trying, you didn't give up with it, that's great. That's a reward in itself to have somebody say that. It might be, Abdul, you worked really hard today even though it was a challenge for you. Another good thing is rewards in the moment. So I know some schools have adopted that they just tick the book there and then. Great, because there's no building up to it, there's no sabotaging, it's done. You might put a sticker on the book there and then. The biggest thing that I want you to take away from this is I would avoid rewards altogether for children with attachment disorder because the brain does not process it in the way that you want or expect it to. Okay, let's look at the second one, praise. I just touched on this very slightly just then. Let's look at why praise doesn't work. So when I say praise, I mean how you speak to a child. So very up, we're so good at giving praise. We're so good at saying, that's brilliant, wonderful effort, fantastic. You're so good at that. You've done really hard work. You're amazing, all of those things. When you praise a child with attachment issues, it doesn't get received in the same way that you would expect it to because basically you're passing judgment on that child. You, Who are you to give me praise and tell me I'm amazing? That means that you think I'm lower than you. If I'm lower than you, that means you've got control. And if you've got control, that means I've given up my power. That means I'm not safe. So what they do is they see praise as almost like a judgment and it's seen as if you've won. So when you praise them, they'll go, what? No absolutely not patronizing me that's almost how it comes across especially for older ones praise also is going to trigger a shame response if you're saying you're amazing that's brilliant fantastic if their core belief is that they're not they're not going to believe you praise you can tell them good stuff all day long they're not going to believe it because they're genuinely deep down their core self tells them no I know I'm bad. Look at all the horrendous things that have happened to me, how people have treated me, what people have said. I'm not worthy of time or attention because of all my life experiences. So you're telling me I'm amazing. I'm not amazing. And I'll just shut down because I don't believe it. So sometimes praise can activate attachment disorder style behaviours. They'll shut down, they'll cut off. Suddenly you're thinking the relationship was going great but now this child doesn't want to be around me. And it's because they feel like this, again, it's, it's a, a power struggle. So try using appreciative comments instead. Say thank you to the kids. At the end of the day, they've dealt with a lot of really difficult things. Some things that maybe you've not even dealt with, you know, that are really hard and that takes a lot of emotional energy and they do deserve some thanks. So maybe they're on, they, they need to be seen as an equal very often these children. If they feel any lesser or younger or treated like you've got more power than them, that's going to create attachment style behaviours. So try and be appreciative. Say things like, Adam, thank you for sitting calmly and working with us. Or Grace, thanks for that answer. You're so right. 
just a little bit of thank you for sharing thank you for listening thank you because that way you're saying look I know it's hard I know you don't want to be here I know you'd much prefer to be doing other things I know that it's going to be really tricky when you get home do you know what thanks so much for sitting there and doing that I know it defies the object of you being the teacher that's in charge, but actually it will engage that child, it will spark that brain, and it's going to create new connections about, hang on, maybe people do respect me, maybe people do care about me, maybe people do see me as valuable. And that's where those brain connections start to change. The more you do that, the more that you're going to change their expectation, and then they're going to start to engage far more. And the final thing is assistance. Now this is a strange one, but I wanted to put this one in here. So assistance why would assistance trigger attachment style behaviors so when i say assistance what i mean is when we help people when we help children without really asking them their permission so usually we will be as a teacher your role is to give assistance that's just who you are that's your job isn't it so you'll go in and you'll sit with them you might get involved without warning you might go and help them with their work you might ask questions and say what does this mean and what does that mean you might notice when they've done something wrong and you might be like hmm just check that spelling for me or you might physically help them without asking so you might notice that they are struggling with I don't know like um a big bag of PE equipment and you might go over and go come on I'll help you with that children with attachment disorder don't want your help Deep down, the core belief is they need to do stuff by themselves. They need to survive by themselves. They need to manage their own life. They probably get their own breakfast, probably get their own dinner, probably sort their siblings out, get them dressed, probably do their own homework without any help. They probably do a lot more than you imagine. And that's very often because their parents are disengaged or don't really support them in the way that they should. These children learn to be very independent very, very quickly. Getting involved and helping them, it's, it's scary. It makes them feel anxious. Why do you want to help me? Why do you want to help? Why do you want to look after me? Why, why, what do you want from me if you want to help me? What's in it for you? Are you just trying to make me like, like you so that I'll do what you say? That's their internal working model. And then what they'll do is they'll reject you. They'll reject you because of it. They'll become withdrawn or angry. If you go over and sit with them and go, mm, what about this spelling? They'll just go, for God's sake, I'm not doing it then. And I know that defies the object and I know it goes against what we do. But at the end of the day, we want to help these children to engage. We want to help these children to be interested in learning, want to learn. We want them to be excited to learn. And in order to do that, we have to be able to activate their connective part of the brain and get them feeling like this relationship is healthy, it's a good one. And sometimes offering help without any consent doesn't work. So instead of doing that, try and give them a sense of control instead. Because remember, they don't want to ask for help. They don't want to acknowledge that they actually need help from adults around them because needing help from adults around them makes them more vulnerable. So instead, just give them a little bit of respect and ask them permission. So say things like, Timmy, I can see that you're taking a while to answer that question. Would you like some help? Or Sarah, shall we figure it out together? That one looks hard. Or Theo, would you like me to carry that book for you? You've got a lot to carry. Now, if they say no, fine. That's all right. They've said no. You've tried. You've given them some opportunity to understand that you're there. You're a caring adult. You're able to assist them. You're able to help them. But if they want to continue to do that by themselves without any support, you're going to have to let them. Because forcing your support on them is only going to push you further away, only going to create more rejection, and they're only going to shut down more. So try and ask permission in nice ways. Would you like some help? Can I help at all? Would you like me to help you carry that? Shall we do it together? change your language. Now these are really quick simple tips and a lot of this has been taken from my training on attachment disorder. 
If you want to know more about attachment disorder behaviours, where it comes from, why children do it, and what you can do about it as a school collectively, looking at a lot more than just these three things, then please go ahead and do our attachment disorder training module or the full therapeutic teaching course. It's really going to help you to understand why certain things in your classroom are not working with children. And the issue is, if we're going to do the same thing over and over again, we're going to praise all the kids, we're going to give them our rewards, we're going to do bite-sized charts, how many kids are we failing? How many children are just literally surviving at school like they survive at home and when they leave us in year six, they've not learned anything different about who they are. Their brain's exactly the same as it was when they came into our care. That to me is failing children and we don't want to do that. School is a beautiful, unique experience for children and we are in a really, really lucky position where we can literally change the brain chemicals and the brain connections and the pathways for these kids. There's so much good work we can do and I think, as I've said before, there's so many other pressures, outcomes and tests and all the rest of it, but forgetting that we can have such a big impact for these kids and instead of leaving them behind because they don't fit the mould, let's start to help to remould what's going on for them so that they can come in and they can start to learn and they can actually get a benefit of being at school. So I hope you loved this podcast episode. We're going to leave it there. If you do want more support with attachment disorder, please go ahead and do the course. You can book it individually or you can book it as the whole course itself. And I will see you in another podcast episode. Okay, guys, bye for now. I hope you've loved this week's episode of the Therapeutic Teaching Podcast. If you want more help and support to become a therapeutic teacher, but don't know where to start, then head to tpctherapy.co.uk and enrol in my free course now and get started.